Hey everyone, welcome back to the Five Tool Podcast. I'm George Klein, and it's an interesting time in sports, what with it being October and all. So we've got MLB playoffs, NFL, NBA, a lot of fun stuff going on. We're still waiting on that Jimmy Butler trade. A lot of reports talking about trade talks with the Heat, even the Rockets I saw, and there's another push to keep them. So just a wacky situation all around there. And this week, I talked to Arthur Jelen about some of the MLB playoff stuff going on and some of the big NFL storylines. So I will just say, as one note, there was some audio interference on his end with our connection. He was recording in a different spot than, than usual. So for the first, you know, maybe eight to ten minutes of our conversation, there's a little bit of audio interference while, while he's talking. So apologies for that again. We're trying to do our best job each week, trying to improve the audio quality each week. So we'll make adjustments and move from there. So hope you enjoy. And thanks again for listening. All right. So I'm here with Arthur Jelen. It's the first week of October. My Cubs completed their incredible collapse down the stretch of the season. They played the Rockies in the wildcard game earlier this week. And it was an exhausting, long game. It's like five and a half, four and a half hours, somewhere around there, five hours. It was ridiculous. I was emotionally drained. I felt like a shell of a person at the end of it. But the story of the Cubs is that their offense either goes off or they score one run. And that's happened a lot to them this year. And it came back in the worst way. Two games that they had to win. They couldn't step up for either one, couldn't muster any offense. Really, really tough season. Arthur, what do you think about the Cubs just as as their season comes to kind of a stunning close. Four and a half games on the surface until like a casual fan might not seem like that much, like, oh, that could happen to anyone. But that usually, in the last month, that doesn't happen too often. And uh, just to kind of between the Cubs and the Brewers, I kind of had the Brewers as a team that I thought would, would stay pretty strong. And I'm happy for the Brewers because they made some somewhat risky, but but pretty shrewd off-season moves to put themselves in a position to compete. And, I mean, they got hot down the stretch. And uh, this is kind of what I was thinking during the game last night, watching uh, the Cubs guys kind of go heads down and walk off the field and stuff like that. I think that the Cubs are kind of entering another stretch right now where they're going to have some more, like, playoff futility and, and miss the playoffs. I think they had their peak – uh, for about 2015, 2016, 2017, uh, going to NLCS, going to the World Series and all that kind of stuff. And I think this was kind of like a seminal moment where they're back on the downhill. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to make wow. you listen to this, but yeah, I think the Cubs are going to start fading after this. So you talked about Milwaukee and Chicago, and what it really comes down to is Milwaukee added Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain in the offseason, and the Cubs added... You Darvish and Tyler Chatwood. At a certain point, Milwaukee's just such a better built team all around. They've got their stars are playing like stars, and Chris Bryant and Rizzo both had down seasons. So there's a lot of concern, obviously, on the Cubs' end because you look at the names on this roster and the results don't match up. It just doesn't match up. This offense is too talented. I think getting rid of the hitting coach, Chili Davis, would be a big help for them because. His whole thing was this year was making contact, let's make contact. And it worked for a guy like Javi Baez, who in previous years was like, I'm going to take the biggest swing I can and try to hit a home run on every pitch, which he still does to a certain degree, just not to the same level. And that's helped him a lot. But 
for everyone else, a lot of weak ground balls, a lot of soft fly balls, just trying to make contact instead of waiting for your pitch and trying to do something with it. The Cubs just swung. You saw it last night. They're, they swing really early in counts. They don't wait for their pitch. They're overeager. They're just trying to make contact for contact's sake, and it doesn't work out. And that's when you end up with, in the regular season, what, 39 games where they score no runs or one run? That's one behind the Orioles, who yeah. are one of the worst teams ever. So that just can't happen. My, I was Again, I was pretty high on the Cubs in, in late August, especially with the additions of Cole Hamels and Murphy. I felt like, okay, the Cubs were gearing up for a solid stretch run. But then the offense just completely disappeared in the second half and down the stretch when they needed it the most. Just inconsistent, bad vibes all around. Everyone's going to be talking about signing Bryce Harper. That's where everyone's mind is, the friendship between him and Chris Bryant. And I hope they do. But again, it's the kind of thing where the vibe just doesn't feel great with this team. So I don't know. I'm not going to necessarily go as far as you did and say they're on the downswing and we'll start to miss the playoffs and stuff. But this this collapse made it clear to, to anyone who was trying to ignore the Cubs problems that this team has significant issues. And Epstein and company really have to make more aggressive moves this offseason than they have in past years. Since in past years, they've been, we're going to hold on to the Schwarber. We're going to hold on to the Hap. We're going to hold on to everyone. Where now you have to start to think, okay, well, maybe it's time to take some swings. What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, first, I, I'd like to kind of go back to what you said, actually, Davis. And I think that's a really good point because he uh, is the former Red Sox hitting coach and was sort of criticized and, and went under the gun for Mookie Betts' ineffectiveness uh, last year and the offense's overall ineffectiveness, um, whereas this year they obviously took off and set a franchise record for wins uh, just based off everyone having a different approach at the plate. Just really all the, all the stuff that is prevalent in today's game, like launch angle and trying to just hit with a little bit more power, uh, which which is helpful in a park like Fenway. But I'd also just kind of like to give kudos and, and credit where credit is due to the Rockies pitching staff mm-hmm. that game last night. Uh, I mean, the whole thing with the Rockies pitching staff is they're great. They're, they're usually pretty good, uh, but they're kind of, I guess you could say, underrated or that it's tough for them because they're playing course field where it's so easy for, for hitters in general uh, and to see them kind of get out of that park and get into a park with a little bit that favors them a little bit more. You got to see how good they really are. Uh, I mean, with Kyle Freeland with that start going head to head with one of the best postseason pitchers of all time and John Lester who had his stuff and Kyle Freeland really going neck and neck with him and really out pitching him because it was a one, he had a one nothing lead when he came out of the game. Keep it going. Obviously out of, you know, kind of a tough break and, and he made a, a, a decent pitch, but not the best pitch to Javi Baez in, to allow them to tie the game. But I mean, for them to hold steady all the way through extra innings, I mean, they take five, they take from the time that run was scored, they go four or five extra innings in all walk-off scenarios uh, in Chicago where the fans are all over them and the Cubs are just trying to squeak out a little hit to really not even allow any base runners in that situation uh, is pretty tremendous on their part. But also just talking about the Cubs a little bit more and, and their lineup, it almost seems like a fantasy lineup at times, just based off the big names and the performers. I mean, if you can have a heart of the lineup of Murphy, Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Schwarber, Zobrist, any of those guys, even Contreras, I think any team would be happy to take that. But it is kind of baffling just how 
ineffective they were basically all season it was kind of like a ticking time bomb when these guys are going to go off and they really didn't all the way down the stretch throughout the collapse and then in the one game playoff when it really has to come alive it doesn't and you could even go back to the the tiebreaker game against the brewers where they scored one run i mean two biggest winner take all games of the season all they could get is one run in the eighth inning in each game it it just isn't going to get it done and it is interesting how you mentioned their offseason approach has been to keep all the young guys because they're all going to be so good and they're all going to be able to help. And I think a guy like Ian Happ is a really good example of someone who was really high on everyone's list of just trade pieces for them. And they weren't willing and Theo wasn't really willing to let him go. And now he's played in the majors and hasn't performed exceedingly well. And if they try to deal with him now, they probably couldn't get what they could have gotten. You talked a little bit about the actual game last night. And I think it's worth just mentioning just how wacky it was. It was 13 innings of just absolute madness. And the details are all sort of scrambled in my mind between hugs, ridiculous calls. Uh, So there are a couple moves that I do want to mention in particular there were two moves. So I thought that the Rockies took Kyle Freeland out way too early. On both ends, I think the starters came out too early. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously the trend these days to go with your bullpen as early as possible, but I think that cancels out when your starters are really the best pitchers on your team. And I mean, the bullpen, each team has strong bullpen pieces, but I think at that point in the game, you just got to ride with your guy. Yeah, because things got a lot more tricky for the Rockies immediately after after they took Freeland out. He had been dealing. The Cubs could barely get a single off of him, and then all and then you take him out, and then in the seventh and the eighth innings, then all of a sudden that's that's when the rallies start and everything kind of blows up. And the Cubs kind of bailed the Rockies out for that with their inability to hit when it matters most. But against a normal playoff team, that would really come back to bite them. So in the division series. With the Freeland start, I would look for them to hopefully stick with him a little longer than 82 pitches or whatever. And then the move that I just don't understand is with Joe Madden, the bases were loaded with two outs. He pinch hits with Hayward before Schwarber. And I, to the life of me, I do not understand why you sit with, why you sit on Kyle Schwarber and instead send in Hayward, who's the worst playoff hitter of all time with the bases loaded and two outs. This whole organization needs to take a closer look at themselves in the mirror because the Cubs have sort of adapted this attitude of we're a championship team, we're a championship team, we're fine, we'll figure it out. It's all good. We've been here before. Well, they had been there before, but it didn't seem to matter in this game. So I think they need to change their attitude, change their mindset, and be a lot more proactive and aggressive instead of just sitting back and say, hey, we won a championship. We know what it takes. Because outside of John Lester, the team did not come to play last night. I mean, if I had the option to not play Jason Hayward the whole game, especially, I'm fine if you put him in as a defensive replacement, if you take the lead and you put him in the ninth inning, just in the outfield when he probably isn't going to get in a bat, that's understandable. But to put him in a high leverage situation when you're down a run, bases loaded, two outs in the game of the year, when, when you have a couple better options, much better options on your bench, that just doesn't really make sense to me. Okay, so moving on to football now. The Pittsburgh Steelers, we've we've talked about them before, but they're in a really kind of wacky spot. Le'Veon Bell, now there's starting to be reports saying week seven, week eight, he might come back. Again, don't know what that situation is going to look like once he's in the locker room with the offensive lineman who had bashed into the press. Antonio Brown not ex- doesn't seem like he's on the same page as as with Roth as with Roethlisberger right now, and 
they just continue to really struggle. They're one, two, and one right now. Do you think that the Steelers will eventually be able to turn it around in the way that some other teams have, or are they just kind of stuck in this rut and is it kind of over? Well, I think the the Sunday night game against the Ravens uh, at home was very telling of where the Steelers are right now. Really, uh, the entire time that you and I have been football fans, those Ravens-Steelers games were the hardest games of the year, whether it was in Baltimore or in Pittsburgh, just just beat the hell out of each other. That game was was just pretty soft, especially on the Steelers' end. Uh, I mean, you know, it was it was a pretty tight game. It was a bit of a defensive battle, but the Steelers defense, which is certainly not up to its usual standards, couldn't come through in the end and, and really lost to Joe Flacco and the Ravens running game, which is by no means spectacular. So they are in trouble. I've been saying they're in trouble since really before the season and each week that we've talked about them ad nauseum. There's going to need to be a change after this season. Uh, I think Tomlin has to go. Uh, they need to make some kind of changes defensively, personnel-wise. Obviously not a rebuild because they have too many good players to go into a rebuild, but really... They've, they've seen an identity change. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers aren't historically, you know, an offensive powerhouse, and that's kind of the way they're leading right now. But I think they just need to go back to their true identity uh, and focus really on defense and then having an offense that picks up the slack and can go win the occasional game if needed. Being this team that tries to win shootouts and things like that doesn't really fit who they are because when their offense isn't producing up to its standards. The defense ends up in games like that where they're just kind of getting trounced. But regarding Le'Veon Bell, I was shocked how it really came out right after the Earl Thomas injury that he was going to come back even earlier than expected just because of you know what happened to Earl Thomas and, and how Le'Veon Bell's always been talking about injury, injury, injury. That's what I don't want to happen. And for him to come back really a week or two earlier than he would need to kind of surprised me. As a quick note, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code 5TOOL today. That's promo code 5TOOL. F-I-V-E-T-O-O-L for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. Looking at that Sunday night game you were mentioning, it really just looked like it. at the end of the day, Ravens were a team that just wanted it more. And the Steelers are in a place now where they seem to have lost a lot of the passion and energy and aggression that sort of makes the Steelers the Steelers. And you were talking about this, but it's a team that seems to have lost touch with its identity and they've moved away from it. And now I think you're just caught in a tricky place where right now they're one, two and one, and they have a real interesting game with the Falcons. So we can talk about this now where Atlanta's one and three, we can talk about their team in a second, but this is a game where the Steelers have to show up for this one because you know that at 
I at least believe that Atlanta will show up for that for their game. So the Steelers have to be have to match that level of intensity, have to match that level of the desperation. Because if they don't, all of a sudden the Bengals and the Ravens are looking a lot better than what we all expected. So they might get left behind and not be able to make up ground even after Bell comes back in if and if he comes back and it all works out for half a season. But the Falcons have lost a ton of guys to injury, brutal losses to their secondary, to their defense. The formula of Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, you can always trust that they'll be able to score. And at the very least, they've been able to make up for some of the red zone issues. But are they going to be able to stop anyone to a level where they can get anything going this year? The Falcons are, are similar to the Steelers, uh, just defensively, uh, but have a bit of an excuse where they've been dealing with a, a good amount of injuries, and that's kind of hindered their defensive play, and it makes it difficult for Dan Quinn to really get a good cohesive unit out there. But th- this is this is really a do or die game for either team. The Falcons can't really afford to slide anymore in their division, and while the Steelers' division is weaker than the Falcons division, you still can't fall behind three games to anyone in the division, even if it's only in, in week five or six and expect to be able to really make, to storm back unless something incredible happens. I mean, right now with the Steelers, they should they should really be at last place. They shouldn't even be tied with the Browns because the Browns got absolutely robbed against the Raiders uh, this past weekend. Yeah. And I, I expect the Steelers to win. I mean, you know, they're favored. They're at home. They're in a must-win game. Everybody's really doubting them. This is a game they have to win, and I expect them to win. But, man, if they lose, it's it's going to be bad news there, and, and there's nothing that can really save their season. Because it, it, it just goes back to the whole identity thing. If they end up in a shootout or if they lose, or even if it's like a another similar game like the Ravens where they lose, you know, like 23-24 to 14 or 17 or something like that, the defense, it's going to be a situation where the defense wasn't good enough to hold a team under 20 and win, and that their offense that they're depending on wasn't able to produce enough points to get them over 20 or 24 or 30 to get a solid win. So, you know, the defense that they should be depending on isn't good enough, and the offense that they do depend on every week also isn't good enough. And it's going to be a lot of finger pointing in the organization when in reality it's pretty much everyone's fault and even the Steelers one win this season wasn't exactly a convincing one it was that Monday night game against Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tampa Bay the Steelers got off to a really fast start in the first half when Fitzpatrick struck again with a bunch of interceptions but they let the Buccaneers back into the game and and gave them a ton of chances to to take the win and it just came down to Tampa Bay just not being a good enough team to take advantage of all those chances. But the Steelers, I we're starting to get to the point where it's time to to think about will they even be a bad team, perhaps, because you look at the different kinds of games you can play. Let's say it's a defensive battle, let's say it's an offensive shootout. I don't necessarily feel great about the Steelers in either one, but the names on on the roster, you've got you've got Antonio Brown. You've got Juju, you've got Bell, you've got Roethlisberger. You've got all these guys, but they all kind of don't with each other. <laughs> and that's yeah, what... Yeah, and, and and with Roethlisberger, I mean, obviously two Super Bowls has been amazing, played through more injuries than anybody really ever. But, you know, the clock's ticking. And I think, I really do think this is his last effective season and he's not even been 
that effective. I mean, it's really every other game with him. Uh, you're getting a 50-50 shot of what you guys going to show up. A guy can only handle so much. He's just been through a lot injury-wise, and it's really all starting to catch up with him. The way he's playing right now, where it's one game on, one game off, they're looking at you know an 8-8 eight eight season. And just based off the talent they have at the skill positions and throughout their whole offense, where he's the key cog in order to pass around all these those guys, they're going to be hard-pressed not to move on from him. All right, so now we've got two more teams that are in kind of an edge of the cliff phase of, of their seasons. We've got in another really fascinating game this week, we've got the Vikings and the Eagles. And these are two teams we've been talking about them prior to the season as NFC contenders, Super Bowl contenders. I mean, two or three of the best teams in, in the conference and things haven't gone according to plan. The Vikings are really just confusing blowout loss to the Bills got outplayed by the Rams in a total shootout. Eagles, Nick Foles returned to his Nick Foles self at the start of the year. Then they get Wentz back, but the team still hasn't taken off in a way you might expect to. They've had some bad injury luck this year. So what do you make of these teams? I I, I think I might, I don't know. I'm starting to be a little higher on the Vikings just in that I look at the talent, especially on offense, and I think it's just more impressive right now. But the Eagles, I don't know, it's a cliche, but they have that Super Bowl resume now. So they're a team that, and we talk about how the Cubs said this, but the Eagles are a team that's kind of been through it all uh, through the ups and downs of a full championship winning season. So what do you think? I have the Eagles in this game, similarly like my case with the Steelers, where it's a big game, they're favored, they're at home. They should win, and I think they will win. I'm sort of drawn to the, to the Carson Wentz kind of storyline in this game. I think it hasn't been talked about enough, really, how quickly he came back from that torn ACL, way under a year, really, closer to nine months. Uh, the only guy we've seen to really be effective doing that was Adrian Peterson when he had that incredible recovery. But, I mean, it's hard. There's a reason that ACLs are such devastating injuries and why it takes a full year for guys to come back from that. So I, I think the focus is really going to be on him and what is is still thought of as a really good defense in Minnesota, even though this year it has not been up to par in really any other games, mainly that uh, that debacle against the Bills at home where they got torched by Josh Allen. But you're right with the whole Super Bowl resume thing with the Eagles. That's kind of similar to what we talked about earlier with the Cubs, where last year at this time, in this game, it was Minnesota all the way. Who cares if, if uh, the Eagles are at home? They're going to lose because they're not that good. But you go out and you win the Super Bowl against a team that you weren't supposed to beat, like they did last year against the Patriots. You're supposed to win these games. When you don't, it's a massive disappointment, and people are going to start questioning how good you really are. So I think it's kind of gut check time for the Eagles, and they've got to go out and win this game. But then again, for the Vikings, it's another big game for Kirk Cousins, kind of like that game against... Uh, the Packers on the road, as much controversy as there was with the, another Clay Matthews roughing the passer call. It's really gut check time for both these teams, but I think more so for the Eagles, which is why I think they'll win. Yeah, I picked the Vikings for a similar reason as the Eagles. I mean, the Vikings, if they lose this game, go to 1-3-1, one, and one, and that's just a tricky place. And, and it's a spot that we never would have expected them to be in, but just because of the way that the beginning of the season has gone, the Vikings just need this game even more in a way that, and obviously hugely important for both teams, but I think the Vikings need it just a little more than the Eagles do. And 
I trust that offense a bit more, to be honest, at this point. Again, it's really a toss-up for me. Both these games, we talked about Steelers-Falcons, we're talking about Minnesota-Philly. I could see it going either way. I would be totally fine and not surprised if the Eagles come out behind Wentz, look really good, win by 10 to 14 points, and we move on and we say, okay, Eagles are, are legit and back. Or we have the Vikings come out, give a real spirited effort in a game they need to have. They win by a touchdown on the road, and we all look at it. Okay, Eagles are in trouble. Vikings look a little more stable. I really don't know. Tough, tough games to pick this week. Really fascinating overall. It's just a total toss-up for me. I think I'm straying Vikings, but right now I'm at 51% Vikings, and that could change by the time we get to this weekend. Okay, so we've talked about two games this week. We've got another really, really interesting game, two happening. It's the Jaguars at Chiefs, uh, and the Chiefs obviously have gone off to a ridiculous start. Mahomes set the league on absolute fire, had that lefty, had that left-handed throw last week. And the Jaguars, again, offense isn't quite where you would want it to be. they really inconsistent on that end. Uh, they kind of ride the Blake Bortles waves where he either looks incredible and they, and they can score 30 points on anyone. They can score 30 points on New England or... <laughs> It's one of those days where he throws for 150 yards and an interception and looks totally lost out there and they score six points. But that defense is legit again. So it's that Jaguars defense against that Chiefs offense. The Chiefs defense is awful a lot of the time, but they didn't look terrible last week, I guess. And the Jaguars offense is so inconsistent. Again, one more toss-up game. I'm starting to believe more and more in the Chiefs. I'm going to go with them for right now, but again, really not quite sure about how that, that lines up. What about you? Yeah, I'll just start by saying I have the Jaguars, and, and as much as it's really, you know, Kansas City offense versus Jacksonville defense, it's really Jacksonville offense versus Kansas City yep. defense. The clear, total, like, no question about it, weaknesses of both teams it's just who's going to step up more. And I just think the Jaguars offense is a little bit more dependable than the Kansas City defense at this point. Yes, Kansas City only gave up 23 points to Case Keenum and, and Broncos, but that's Case Keenum in the front. <laughs> and, and I think, like you said, Jacksonville has shown the ability to put up 30 points on anybody. Nobody knows if it's going to happen. If you want to go one week on, one week off, they just put up 30 on the Jets. So this is going to be the off week where they're going to score you know, nine points and lose like nine to three or something like that. Yeah. Or lose like 12 to nine or something like that. I give a lot of credit to Pat Mahomes for, for the, uh, the 10 point fourth quarter comeback against the Broncos. It's not the no fly zone anymore, but they still have Von Miller. They still have Derek Wolf. They have, you know, Bradley Chubb and, and they have guys in the secondary who are capable of stopping guys. And, and he picked them apart uh, in the fourth quarter and got the job done on the road in a, you know, a top, t- a top five environment and atmosphere in the league. So they're back at home kind of coming off that high. Uh, and I think they might be a little bit too high and they're, and they're going to crash a little bit against what is the best defense in the league. So um, I, I have the Jaguars mostly just because I believe that Blake Bortles and Fournette, whether it's Fournette or Yeldon or, Corey Grant out of the backfield can muster enough points to help their defense out. I, I fully expect the defense to hold the Chiefs to under 20 points. So that's really the the milestone for the Jaguars offense. So with Mahomes, he's been incredible with his arm, 14 touchdowns, no interceptions, 65.2% completion percentage. For me, at least, it seemed like there were some sort of cracks in the armor in that Monday night game where 
some accuracy issues, wasn't on the same page for a while with uh, Travis Kelsey, never seemed to, to be on the same page throughout the game with uh, Tyreek Hill. I don't know. I think Mahomes gets off to such an incredible start, and I don't think anyone expected him to continue with that pace. But I think if we get the Mahomes that we saw last week, then the Jaguars come out and really put on a, an impressive performance. So I think when you're picking this game, well, one of the things that you have to think about too is sort of what level of Mahomes are we getting? Are we getting a guy who makes every throw and is the greatest quarterback we've ever seen and throws six touchdowns and goes 23 for 28? Or is it a guy where it's a little bit more of a struggle? He got it going in the fourth quarter last week, but for a while there, the Chiefs offense looked a little bit lost, a little bit confused. And that Jaguars defense is awfully good, but the Chiefs offense has to step up because their defense is so bad. You can't rely on the Jaguars only scoring nine points. I think it's safe to say that they'll be somewhere in that 25 point range. So are the Chiefs going to be able to score, I don't know, four touchdowns on this Jaguars defense? The more we talk about it, the more I'm starting to talk myself into Jacksonville. Even though I said Chiefs, I think like four minutes ago, as as we're talking and making these points, I'm starting to sway over to the Jaguars because I just don't know how incredible that this Chiefs offense can be faced with a test like this. Looking at that Monday night game, the stat that really jumped out to me was Patrick Mahomes setting the NFL record for yards outside of the pocket, which I thought was kind of ridiculous. I don't know how like 190 yards out of the pocket, like Aaron Rodgers hasn't broken that before. But really, I think the thing that it comes down to is the Jaguars defense is just so unique, just based off the speed they have at all three levels of the defense. And Pat Mahomes can, you know, run around, run outside the pocket, do his college stuff all they wants, but you know, you get a guy like Telvin Smith or Miles Jack coming off the edge and they're going to chase him down no problem. And even if he does throw it away or tries to throw it back into the middle of the field, he'll throw a little fluttering duck that one of the players in the Jacksonville secondary can, can pick, can, you know, pick off and, and give the ball back to their offense in good field position. Um, so I think the Jaguars defense is going to expose a lot of the I don't want to call it the weaknesses in Pat Holmes' game because of what's making it, it's what makes him so unique and what makes him so unstoppable sometimes. But the Jaguars will exploit some of those things uh, and be able to use them to his advantage. But it's not like that's going to be the formula for teams to beat him because really no other team has the defensive personnel that the Jaguars have. They'll be able to uniquely present problems to him. Uh, but I don't expect it to be a turning point in the season where he has a bad game and he proceeds to tank the rest of the season because teams can figure him out. I think he has a very unique skill set that bodes well for his career and for the Chiefs offense as a whole for the rest of the season. I just think the Jaguars have the ability to stop him. This is a little bit of a curveball just in that it came to my mind right now while looking at the NFL standings. One team that I think has they got off to a rough start and have quietly put together some really good performances. The Tennessee Titans, who are vying with the Jaguars for position in the AFC South. And Marcus Mariota has some injury, uh, misfortune. Everyone was, was a little nervous about that. But if you look at the offense and nothing really stands out or even looks that incredible, a lot of guys are kind of struggling, applying for three, four yards. But the defense has really stepped up. So how much of a believer are you in the Titans? Are they a viable, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say threat to the Jaguars since I think that the Jaguars are a tier above them, but can they, you know, 
win 10 games or so and force the Jaguars to kind of look in the rearview mirror for the rest of this year? I mean, they're, they're a really bizarre team. Uh, they have the huge wins that I don't think anyone would have expected over the Jaguars and then most recently over the Eagles. I mean, those are win, wins you can really hang your hat on, but they also have gone out and lost the Dolphins. And granted, yeah. that was a really, really weird game with the lightning delay and whatever it was that basically made it uh, into two whole separate games. I, I really have no idea what to make of that. I'm, I'm a Marcus Mariota fan. I'm a huge fan, but I, I still believe in him just based off his unique skill set, kind of similar, uh, obviously not unique if it's similar, but he has a similar skill set to a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Um, maybe probably definitely not as, as good a passer, but the ability to be mobile, make plays outside of the pocket, kind of stretch the defense horizontally and then attack them vertically. I'm surprised that, you know, their, their running game hasn't been like completely dominant. Just, I think like having a two headed monster and Derek Henry and Dion Lewis should present a lot of problems for teams. Uh, it hasn't necessarily yet, uh, but that defense was, was really, really good last year. And it was underrated coming into this year and having a defensive guy, a smart guy, a Patriots guy like Mike Vrabel at the helm, it was a good look going into the season. And I'm glad that it's kind of, progressed in into working for them but as far as challenging the, the Jaguars obviously they beat them but it was in one of those Blake Bortles off days I they're definitely not as as good as the Jaguars and I don't expect them to win the division they'll be a wild card team like they were last year and I'd feel confident in their ability to really go into any person's stadium and, and leave with a win so I had mentioned that that was my last question I lied because one more thing came to my mind that I did want to ask you about it's the Des Bryant ongoing situation where now he says that he would want to play for the Cowboys. All of a sudden we're week five and he's still not on a team. So many rumors with him and the Cleveland Browns and he just seems to kind of be waiting it out. Do you think he plays in the NFL this year or is it just kind of over? As soon as I say he won't, he will get signed. So it's kind of hard to make a prediction on that one, but I'm going to go ahead and say he doesn't just because, um, it is, it is week five, and and I think teams kind of have looked at their rosters and been like, we're either fine with what we have or we don't want to take the risk of what can this guy do anymore because he'll probably command a decent amount of money even though he might not necessarily deserve it, and, and teams probably just aren't willing to devote that kind of cap space. Now that I say that, I'm sure some random team is going to pop out like the Bills or someone and snatch him up, but uh, – it's up to him, too, because he's going to decide where he wants to go. And a team like the Bills could pop out and offer him a contract, but he's going to be like, I don't want to play Buffalo. And that's kind of his loss because uh, if you want to play again, you got to be willing to play anywhere. And uh, he probably he really only wants to play for a handful of teams, and none of those teams are really in the market for a wide receiver at this point. So I'm going to say no. On that note, that will do it for us. Again, it's October, so in a lot of ways it's – the best month in sports. We've got MLB playoffs, NBA starting up, NFL's in full swing. So a lot to talk about. Arthur, always happy to have you on. Thanks for coming. Yeah, great to be here. See you next week. We'll probably have lots to talk about. Bye.